Hello, everyone. We are back once again with another episode of the Young and Foolish podcast. And this week, as you'll see if you're watching the video version, that Raymond is not here with us, but we do have a very special guest here with us today. And、um, before we get into、um, who she is,、uh, we'll have her introduce herself for a little bit.、Uh, I just want everyone to know that we brought her on to talk about the topic of urban forestry, which is something that I don't think Lorenza and I really know too much about, but it's something that is definitely very interesting. Not at all.、Uh, yeah. So、uh, before we get into the topic, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? All right. Well, thanks for having me on, guys.、Um, so I'm Raquel. I'm also Lorenzo's sister. And I'm currently a first year、uh, student in the urban forestry program at UBC, and、um, yeah, I'm just really glad to be on here and happy to talk about urban forestry. Awesome.、Um, so why don't you start off by telling us briefly what urban forestry is? All right. So the way that、um, it's most commonly like referred to as is like it's like the art and science of the design and management of green spaces in urban settings. And the main goal of it is to like maximize both the human and、uh, like ecological benefits that green spaces provide for us in urban settings. Okay, so this would be like an aspect of urban planning, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like it kind of like branches out into like、um, like urban forestry is kind of like an umbrella term. There's like lots of different things that you can go into it, but like urban planning is like a big part of it.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,、um, with your program so far, what have you guys talked about? Like, because、uh, first year, obviously, it's gonna be more introduction stuff. And for the purpose of this podcast,、uh, including us, there's gonna be a lot of people who don't really know what you know, first urban first year is all about. I think the brief description provided is awesome. But when we're talking about、um, to get kind of a little bit deeper into it. What have you guys been talking about in the first year, kind of introduction-based courses? Um. Well, let me see. Uh, we last semester, I guess, it was like I took like the first introductory course, which was like kind of like, um, kind of touched on all the different um little sectors of urban forestry. So like, um, there's like a lot of different scales that you can look at it as. So it can be as small scale as just like looking at like arboriculture, for example. So just looking at the individual maintenance of like single trees. Um, it can also be as broad as like urban planning, for example, like what you said. So it's more like looking at like the grand picture, like the bigger picture、um, way of looking at things, and like planning out like oh where parks are gonna be. But、um, just like to dive into that a bit more, I guess like we also talked about like、uh, the governance that、um, and like all the different stakeholders and how that works out with like、um, urban planning and like how like it's kind of like. Hard to talk about in like a summarized way, but、um, mm-hmm. we just talked about like the government. What, what are the zoning、uh, laws come into、um, this? Is that what the governance is like the zoning laws or whatever? Uh yeah, so like there's like uh you have to look into like whether like first of all like whether the land is publicly or like、uh, privately owned. Then also looking at like okay, well, what type of land is it? Like is it like um like is it in a residential sort of sector or is it like in an industrial zone? Like commercial, like you know, there's like a lot of things that play into it,、um, mm-hmm. and just like looking at like the best way to implement green space that makes like mess、uh, the most sense, just because there are like a lot of different like um, um, stakeholders that want different things out of like 
land, you know, like there's lots of conflicting interests. And so you just have to find like a good way to like mm-hmm. balance everything. So like, for example, like, um, like a lot of the, like, um, issues that like urban foresters run into is that like, um, a lot of the t- time people don't really see the value in green space in urban settings. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, uh, you just have to kind of like push back and like, um, fight against like more like, um, developments that are happening. For example, like a lot of the time, um, there's parking lots and like new buildings that are being built and you have to just kind of, you know, fight back against that. But like, obviously like in some areas, maybe it would be better to have that. And it's just kind of like finding the best balance for the area that you're in. And let me think about what else we talked about. Um, we talked about also like, there's also like a lot of climate change issues that we've talked about. Um, mm-hmm. Just because like, as most people know, climate change is a very pressing issue. Um, and for example, uh, Vancouver by the year 2050, it's going to be just around like the same, t- um, it's going to have like this similar climate as San Diego. And so a lot of the native um, plants that we have here at the moment won't survive that. And so it's just like, you run into a lot of issues with like, should we plant trees that are going to like adapt to that or like, or like adapted to that climate or should we continue planting native plants? And then you just like run into a lot of issues with whether like you want to preserve like the um, like ecological integrity or if you want to plan ahead for like um, climate change, you know. So it's just like there's like a lot of mm-hmm. like different things I have to like uh, weigh in. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah I think you touched on quite quite a few different aspects of urban forestry. Um, I mean, one of the things that I was thinking about when you're talking is uh, it's about the piece of land in like Richmond that for the longest time that just wasn't being used for anything. Even now, it's still just kind of like, I think they're trying to make a park. But, you know, when you get off the highway and you go into Richmond, uh, there's just this huge piece of land in the middle there. Uh, I, like with, uh, on one side, you are have there some the, gas stations nearby. Is it near Garden City? Yeah, there's a gas station, the old one, and then there's a Garden City like a dog with the new uh, mall. Yeah, there's a new mall on one new side mall. of it now. Uh, yeah, with mall? like oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Bed Bath & Beyond, Walmart. What? Uh, like, Where is this? Yeah. Garden City. What? <laughs> Garden City has a mall now? Yeah. It's, it's not, it's a not mall. like It's like... Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like more just like, like a few... There's like grocery stores and like... Other things. It's not is like, it even a mall if it doesn't get hooked up to the SkyTrain station, bro? Think about <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's got, it's got stores like that on one side. Uh, I mean, oh, wow. Bath & no Beyond idea. is pretty big, so, so it's not like a small mall, but it's not like a uh, Richmond mm-hmm. Center type mall. It's a different style. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, oh, okay. obviously on the other side is the gas station you're talking about. But that piece of land in the middle, like... Uh, I, I don't even know what's up with it, but kind of glad to see it's kind of been turned into a park, even though it's extremely slow. And for the longest time, like I said, no one was doing anything about it. Uh, but the other thing that that uh, I was thinking of when you were talking about the governance side of it is the parking lots, right? And mm-hmm. one of the biggest problems I have with a lot of the ways uh, North American cities and especially rural areas and suburbs are designed well i guess not rural if it's actually really rural then it's a whole different thing but uh you know cities and suburbs you see a lot of 
parking lots, with any type of uh, building, the size of the parking lots are just absolutely huge, right? And that's because everything is so car dependent, car centric, whenever you need to go to a place or in your car, so you need to build a place to park the cars, right? So I never really related that to urban forestry and planning for the green spaces in that sense. Uh, it's just because whenever I think of these type of stuff, I'm always more looking at the walkability side of things and um, and that type of public space and people-friendly areas. But when you're talking about urban forestry, that totally uh-huh. connected the dots about how a lot of those spaces, um, you know, it could also be used to design in a way that's more for uh, people uh, could have a green space for people that is also extremely friendly, right? And it's also very beneficial to a lot of neighborhoods and just kind of makes the city more beautiful as well. And th- and that's the thing that I think a lot of people living in the area would just appreciate. And I could definitely see uh, how there could be a lot of uh, push against these type of developments because of how, uh, you know, how much people just want to have uh, parking lots. When the city is kind of designing this way overall, if you're not going to have a massive parking lot, it's not going to be as attractive for people to go to just because everyone is uh, kind of set on driving there, right? But I guess in the city, for a lot of places, it's maybe a little bit easier, especially in Vancouver, since overall the downtown area or Kitslano area, there are different places where it is uh, more walkable and places that doesn't necessarily need the parking lots as much. So I'm really glad that people are talking about like ur- urban forestry and planning for green spaces around the city instead of uh, these other type of developments. Yeah, that's actually really interesting that you brought that up. Um, because like it's something that's been talked about about, uh, about a lot in my courses. Um, I took uh, specifically a few geography courses last year, um, a few human geography ones, and we talked a mm-hmm. lot about the way that um, European cities are designed versus North American cities. And if like you notice, um, like one of the biggest differences that I think a lot of people notice is that like European cities are just so much more walkable. Like mm-hmm. it, like they weren't designed like when cars were like a big thing, you know. And, like, for example, if you look at L.A., it's, like, basically impossible to live there without a car and be able to get around comfortably, you know? It's just, like, it's, like, a really big thing, and it's, like, a pressing issue just because, because like, I think it's not a sustainable way to be living in, like, cities that are just mm-hmm. made for cars, you know? Like, both, like, for the space that it takes up, you know, like, building, like, massive roads and highways and, like, obviously, like, parking lots for that, and then also, like, the all the emissions from the cars that's just like not it's not environmentally very sound and like it's not sustainable in the long run and so um one of the new ways that um like urban planners are approaching it is like this um this new way uh sorry just like stumble my words a bit just because it's like i'm a bit nervous but no, it's all good no it's all yeah, good yeah it's all good it's all yeah good. um but it's this new um, city design concept called new urbanism. And it's basically all centered mm. about uh, like walkable cities. And um, I think UBC was actually d- designed with this in mind, if I'm not wrong. I remember one of my professors mentioning it. But basically, it's just like, um, I think like the main um, like 
goal behind it was to have everything within like with your like your house like a 15 minute walking distance between you and whatever you need so like grocery stores um you know i guess like um everything else like that you need besides groceries like i don't know hair mm-hmm. salons um, yeah just basic amenities yeah like basic uh, cafes, amenities yeah yeah uh, like, gyms restaurants yeah. just out yeah <laughs> uh, and and that's a topic that we've covered uh, before because I'm very interested in spaces, environments that people live in overall. And we did an episode on urban planning, which is a major aspect of uh, spaces, environments, right? And one thing Lorenzo and I were talking about uh, is that concept of um, walkable cities, you know, having mm-hmm. everything within 15 minutes. And we definitely see that. In North America, one of the one of the places that you do find that being available is college campuses, university mm-hmm. campuses. You know, it's just uh, a large area uh, designed with with that concept in mind, where students can actually get to their classes and get you know their basic day to day things done, uh, with, you know, quite conveniently without using cars and uh, and all that. And the other thing I really wanted to uh, touch on, based on what you're saying, is that I talk a lot and think a lot about urban planning and the walkable city ideas, but I never really focus too much on the sustainability and the environmental aspect and those benefits that come with it, even though I do know that they exist. It's just that's not really the aspect I focus on. I kind of focus on the other aspects related to uh, quality of life and, and convenience and mental health and, and just ways that improve people's day to day kind of sense of uh, sense of fulfillment and just how they feel their life is being in that environment, you know, actually. I think it just really improves your general quality of life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the sustainability and the environmental aspects are very important to talk about and tying that in with uh, urban forestry is is definitely something that, that makes sense because you have to look at like, if everyone is driving, if everyone needs a car, like you're taking, um, all the spaces, building it for parking lots, building all these big roads you're, with all the emissions like you're talking about. And also um, just taking that space um, away from natural life, you know, from, from these green spaces as well. And I'm glad that we're bringing that up uh, now because that's one aspect that we didn't cover on the other episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, um, just Fine like um, uh, one thing that that reminded me of is um, um, one of the uh, really cool ways that we're trying to like, like obviously like the way that cities are built, it's like really hard to change what's already there. And for like a really like heavily industrialized area, a lot of the times it's like hard to bring green space back into it and like, um, and you know, like make it like more walkable again. Cause like if it was previously industrialized and I guess maybe people don't really want to walk through there just cause it wasn't really made for that or designed for it. But one of the uh, mm-hmm. concepts that we just talked about recently in one of my classes was um, like re-greening these like, um, these like things that were previously, previously built. So for example, um, like one common way to do this is like to build greenways and like for example, uh, one of the most most common ones is like just to like, for example, uh, 
like train um, tracks. So like used to run through cities that aren't currently being used anymore. A lot of the times they're uh, re- turned into greenways, which people can walk through or bike through. And they're turned into like these like parks so that people can like, um, basically it just kind of creates like a way that people can move through the city in a more pedestrian friendly way. And they can be immersed in like more green space that way as well without like having to like do too much to the environment just because you're kind of using what's already there you're just like adding more plants or like you know um making it like you know paving it so like bikes can go on it but yeah it's just like a very Mm -hmm. like um i think it's like a good way to look at the cities and like a good way to fix what's wrong with the cities in north america and like try to make them more pedestrian friendly Mm -hmm. for sure and one of the things that that I just um, come to my mind right off the bat, uh, but isn't something I want to talk about right away. Is kind of what Paris is trying to do, and and uh, that that whole project. Well, I guess it's a, really a bunch of mini projects built in together, right? Because you kind of need to make all these small changes to get there. But before I really get into that, uh, I just kind of want to touch on what you're talking about earlier and tying into what you just said now about European cities and, and the way they're built. And one thing that I've brought up before, again, with Lorenzo in the urban planning episode, is how here in North America, one of the reasons why it's built like the way it is now is largely because of the influence and lobbying and overall power of automobile and fossil fuel companies, right? Uh, you have, if you look at some of the uh, legislative uh, policies that were passed, you look at some of the decisions that were made and who was involved, and uh, you look at the laws that were broken and how much they were fined, which is extremely little, and you could clearly, uh, very, very clearly see that it was kind of manipulated into this direction. And, um, a lot of that has to do with GM, right? Uh, I remember hearing a story about them literally buying streetcars and getting rid of them so so they don't have that competition. So the roads belong to cars and cars only in all these cities, literally buying that and getting rid of it. Like it's just ridiculous some of the things that, that they did. Uh, but with, with um, th- this whole thing, a lot of the... Way it came about was kind of in the post-war era, right? And when when stuff uh, when economy was getting good and people had more money and all that, and also a time when many cities the living condition just wasn't as good and there were very obvious problems and people wanted to live kind of outside of it. You, you saw these developments come about that way um, in that era and in Europe. There were a lot of reconstruction and renewal and all of that being done, expansions being done as well in the post-war too. And there are cities that kind of took it towards a similar direction as North American cities as well. And we've seen some of those places much early on in the 60s and 70s, as well as all the way up to now, turning it back into more walkable. So not only were a lot of the cities just older and designing a period without cars, but many of them had the realization and 
had been doing or has done what you talked about, and that is regraining the place, has, that is kind of changing these things to make it more walkable and make it more people-friendly and making it more sustainable and environmental um, places, you know, in many Dutch cities, you know, they weren't, they had a lot of spaces that had more cars. And nowadays you look at, you look at the transformation, it's a completely, you know, pedestrian zone with some uh, really sophisticated bike infrastructure as well. And uh, you also do see green spaces too, for sure. Uh, I just never really focus on that aspect, but thinking about it, yeah, absolutely. There is that, but that has continued it more in, I guess, European cities, even nowadays. And like I said, uh, Paris and the project they have been doing uh, is absolutely fantastic. And I don't know how much you know about that, but uh, if, if you know anything, you know. Um, I'm not really too sure about like what Paris is currently doing. Um, I just know that um, like in the past, like Paris and like I know a few other cities in uh, I think the UK had like a big influence on urban forestry and like how it started just because like um, mm. I think they like from the big get go, like they had like a really big interest in like having greenery in their cities. Like if you notice like a lot of like the like like in their palaces and like the more rich areas, like that's where they had like a lot of greenery because like it was like more of like a a commodity for the rich people and like rich people obviously have like a lot of the power like historically so like hmm. um i just know that like they were kind of like pioneering a lot of like the urban forestry like concepts that are like well known today but like i don't really know what's going on right now okay um, once again the french being trendsetters that's crazy <laughs> that's wild <laughs> Yeah, uh, but like you, the new mayor really um, has come out and made some pretty radical uh, plans, and so many, so much of it has already been implemented or in the works. So you're definitely seeing uh, the bike infrastructure improving a lot. You are seeing, uh, I don't know how much is being done now, but the redesign of Champs Elysees, like the most famous street potential in the world and uh one of the key tourist destinations in paris is you know being redesigned into a much greener and much more pedestrian space and also uh a lot a lot of areas have cars just straight up banned right then you also have uh streets where parking has been eliminated they're doing all these uh different things to eliminate um, the use of cars and to incorporate you know just more people-friendly spaces in terms of biking and walking and also having a huge focus on, on urban forestry and making the place more green and more sustainable and i don't know which um which you know part of it is going to get implemented when but i do know a lot of it has already been done and a lot of it is being in the works and this whole project is really radical and overall what they're trying to do is uh very drastic and they're trying to do it in a very short period of time i think by 2026 or something like that they're trying to you know 
get most of most of the major things done and you look at what it's looking at before it started what's looking at now and where they're trying to get to it is a huge change and uh, i think for urban planning for urban forestry and the overall city design it's just it just really uh it is gonna be a trend setting and a case study for for many cities to come yeah, I think I have um, no idea about that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think like um, with urban forestry, I think um, heading into the future, I think a big thing of it will be redesigning previously built spaces just because like um, you can't really just like knock down an entire like building or like or, like a street and like completely like change it from what it originally was so i think a big part of- just ask putin bro come on bro <laughs> uh, <laughs> well i guess like in the context of like urban forestry i think it's like both like economically and like i think you'd get like a lot of more support from the public if you were to redesign spaces as a, as to like implementing like completely new ones so mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I I definitely seen some uh, streets or even highways being changed into pedestrian and bike only spaces, and those changes are definitely much easier to implement than trying to, uh, you know, repurposing these things are definitely much easier than you know just destroying and rebuilding stuff, right? And we're also seeing uh, kind of smaller scale new cities are being planted these ideas more close to heart in places like the german-speaking world like germany like uh austria and the german-speaking world so just germany (laughs) no austria pretty much i mean austria oh come on bros don't count bro come on are you kidding me switzerland does not count i mean it kind of counts but it's is that it's not the main language bro come on bro is it is it it? no they have I mean, three isn't it French? official languages. They have three. Uh, yeah, they have French, I mean, German, Ita- and Italian is, it? is pretty. You know, it's Italian's probably small like population. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Romansh is also official language. English might even be official language. I but I I forget whether French or German is a primary one. Yeah, it can. I'll give you Austria. Like, though. I'll give you they, Austria. They, they have different areas. Yeah, and then Vienna is incredibly well designed city with incredibly high quality of life. And what they're doing, urban planning overall, has been great. Uh, I don't know too much about specifically to do with urban forestry, but what I was talking about is in German speaking world, those countries, what you've been seeing is um, some of the new cities, some of these uh, projects take that that really close to mind and designing very green spaces, very walkable spaces. So I definitely, I definitely agree with you in the sense of like, yeah, it's going to be a lot of repurposing. Uh, that's that's going to be uh, a major part of urban forestry and, and urban planning overall. But also these new places that, that are getting built, these ideas are being really taken seriously and considered. And people even in North America are being more mindful of it. We've seen a lot of places during the pandemic times where they just close off the street uh, from cars and some of them are staying that way because people realize how much better it is for their neighborhoods and uh, having having places where people can socialize where kids can play where uh, you could just go out for a nice walk and enjoy the space like that as opposed to having you know cars running across and uh, the noise pollution the the emissions 
you know, the the car accidents that, that ends up happening a lot, actually. And um, yeah, that, that's definitely a really good way to think about it, the repurposing of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting um, how you brought up COVID and how that affected um, like a lot of like urban planning and like zoning things. Just because uh, before COVID, my professor mentioned that like there wasn't that much interest in urban forestry and not not like from the general public, I guess. But after like the lockdowns happened and people were like, oh, we can't really go anywhere. They, the only place they could really go was just to like outdoor public spaces. They started to realize like the importance of like having those be like accessible and like having them like mm-hmm. be like well-designed and like, yeah, just accessibility is like a big issue just because um, like, like you said, it's kind of ties into like how like the cities aren't um, walkable because like, what's the point of having a park if you have to like, I mean, I'm obviously like, driving to a park is nice, but like having a park where you can walk to is just so much like better like and there's like lots of studies yeah, that support this that people just use parks more if they live close to them and act, can actually walk to them. Um, I believe that like the like the perfect distance to live a, like um, for, like from a park is like around 300 meters and like that's like the kind of like the golden number for people to actually use right. it and like um, have it be considered accessible. Um, I believe it's like you you should have like at least three green spaces 300 meters away from your house is like like what urban planners like try to like design um um Sheesh. but like obviously i don't think it's like in radical. reality that happens or it has happened in the past but i guess moving forward like that's what they're trying to aim for um but yeah, yeah covid just like made That'd the general public though. really realize nice. like oh it's really important to have green spaces in urban settings because obviously you can drive out like an hour or two and go on a hike on a mountain but just like it's so important to just have like those like small little like times in the day, like for 15 minutes, you just go out to a park and like get some fresh air and then go back mm-hmm. to your apartment or whatever and continue working. Like it's, that's just like really important. And I don't think people realize that until COVID happened. Yeah. Just having that to be incorporated into everyday life as supposed to be a special event and special activity where you really go out, you know, because taking a drive into, into the mountains and, and enjoying nature that way for hikes and whatnot, it's extremely nice for a lot of people, but that isn't necessarily a everyday event. And it's not going to be every, everyday event for the average person. Uh, and what were you going to bring up Lorenzo? Man, that reminds me of uh, during lockdown, me and Shari were planning a hike. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll find something. Yeah, we'll find something to hike on the day or whatever, something like that. And then we wanted to do it in South Surrey. And we're like, we're looking. And I was like, there's nothing in South Surrey. There's nothing. I mean, I guess we wanted to do a hike like on a mountain. And there's no mountains in South Surrey, so that might be an issue. But <laughs> beyond that, we were shocked. There was like no good walks at all. Like it was just like, what, what's it called? Blackie Spit Park or whatever, something uh-huh. like that. Yeah, it's I. I mean, there there are some places. Been there like a million times. (laughs) Yeah, there are places like around Semiamu and then like uh, close closer to kind of um, going down to the beach. You know, there are places around our old high school that's kind of nice, but those aren't very long. Yeah, and also overall, yeah, exactly. The quality is going to come all the way up from Abbotsford, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so but we, we, like, ah, we, nah, yeah. we used to go on walks during COVID time in, uh, in our neighborhood when I was back during oh, the yeah, summer. Oh, yeah, but that was, mm-hmm. yeah. 
That was just so easy though, because you live so close. If Shark yeah. was gonna come out all the way here, uh, we can't do those walks if he's putting mm-hmm. it all that effort. You know what I mean? No, no, no. I would just can't bring just take up a walk how, like during COVID yeah. times that like for the average person, the time they spend outside and just walking and having that as activity has definitely uh, increased dramatically. And I could I could definitely mm-hmm. see how that would raise awareness for urban forestry and the way cities are designed overall. And, you know, when you're talking about that, I was just thinking about how if you're, if you have, you know, a pets, right? Like, just take them out for, for a walk in a nice green space. Like, that's something that's just really nice. And if you have to actually get in a car and drive to a space like that, that, that changes the whole scenario, right? It's just a very different feeling to it. And, and it literally increased the space. Um, not just like, yes, it literally increases space physically, but mentally it, it becomes a different concept. It becomes a different activity. And uh, it's not just getting getting out of your house and there you're already basically doing the activity, right? Because if you're really close to the walk and you're going to walk there anyways, that's kind of part of the activity. Whereas if you have to get in the car and drive for like, even if it's a short drive, even if it's like a 10 minute drive, you're still getting out, getting into the car, getting driving there, parking, and then starting the activity, right? So there's like this extra step. So not only physical distance, but this extra step in there changes the concept and feels more distant from you from kind of a mental aspect, right? That, that's That's what I think at least. Yeah, for sure. I think like, yeah, accessibility is not just distance. It's also 100%. just how, like how easily you can access that space. And definitely like um, driving out adds like a lot of like um, just extra factors into it that might just be too much trouble for people to like actually, go, you know, go ahead and go through with it. Yeah. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. Hold on a second. I'm really interested about this tree situation you're talking about and like the uh, native versus non-native species debate. Oh. What's your stance on the topic? If you were going to plant a tree today, what would it be? Oh, see, that's like actually really tricky because like, here's the thing. If you plant native species, like that's awesome because you're, you're conserving like the ecological integrity of the space. And, you know, that's ideal. And like, if we can like, you know, prevent climate change from happening, like obviously that's like what we want, but like, in the grand scheme of things, we probably just have to like start planning for like those changes, not just like hoping that they won't happen. And the big issue with that is that you are using like tax um, payers' money for planting those trees. And if you plant a bunch of trees and they all die within like twenty, like ten to fifteen years from now, um, yeah, ten to twenty years from now, like you just kind of like wasted a bunch of money. And like obviously, people aren't going to be happy about that. Um, and then also, like even if you plant like non-native species it doesn't mean like that they're horrible like they're still providing like a lot of like um ecological like services it's just like not native which like is like not the best but um but if those are going to survive then you're not really wasting that tax uh, that tax money and it would be better just because like you're actually gonna have trees that are alive but then like the native species might suffer if they have to compete with that but then again, they might die in the first place if there's climate change. So it's just kind of like there's no right answer to it. It just you just really have to like um, just kind of look at all the pros and cons and decide. I guess like the, the city planners or the the people that are currently making those decisions, they'd have to like sit down and like look at what would make the most sense in the long term. Uh, so, well, what did you say the timeline was before we get to San Diego? Uh, Twenty fifteen. 
So San Diego like, climate. Yeah, it's twenty fifty. Okay, so what's gonna happen to all the super old trees from today? Are they all like how many of the species are gonna? Where, where, is it gonna be like complete annihilation of the native species um, soon after twenty fifty? Or is it going to be like a slow dwindling where it's like the numbers just start decreasing and they start getting well, out like, competing slowly? The thing slowly. is, like each species has like different tolerances, you know. So like I guess like it just kind of depends on each individual species itself and like what they can tolerate specifically. Um, hmm. What about the, trees, the super big uh, trees? The real cool, <laughs> cool looking ones, you know the ones. Well, yeah. Assert. Like I guess again, it depends. See, because the... I feel like. Anytime I think of trees from around here, that's where well, my jumps to, you know? Um, hmm. I know, like, for example, like, sequoias, like, they're commonly found in, like, California. They're also, like, found up here. So, like, maybe, hopefully, those could survive. I'm not quite sure about, like, other mm-hmm. native species, mm-hmm. though. Um, it's just, like, I think, like, obviously, like, San Diego's pretty hot and, like, dry. Yeah. And so that would be stressing a lot of, like... Um, the native plants here like for example um what happens like when species are stressed like that like sometimes they can survive but then um they can't like continue doing other like um other parts of like their um like i don't know how to describe this but like they can't like do all their functions so for example in like vancouver i don't know if you guys have noticed there's like a bunch of palm trees and obviously those aren't native um, and they survive, even though this mm-hmm. is like a place where they're native to. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at them, they actually don't produce any like coconuts or seeds. And that's because they're actually pretty stressed and they're like, they're, they're like at the bottom end of their tolerance for, um, like the temperature. So for example, like I'm not hundred percent sure if like something like that would happen to the native species oh, wow. for like hot temperatures, but I can imagine that they wouldn't be able to start like, um, Doing like all their functions, for example, like creating like maybe fruits Yo, or like. I see this as an absolute win. <laughs> or like, but like if they can't produce seeds, though, we're gonna have if they can't produce bro. seeds, like how would they produce more trees? That's the thing. So like. Uh huh. No, 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 no. Yeah. But hold on, but that, but we're gonna have coconuts then by twenty fifty. Oh. Is that what you're telling <laughs> I don't know. me? Maybe. Nah. That's what that, I'm getting that, from this. That is a potential, I guess. Uh, but you bring up a very, <laughs> very, very interesting point. In, in, because when I think about this kind of idea of native versus, what do you call uh, foreign species? Like, like um, what, what were you calling? People call them like non-native. Like, um, yeah, because like not necessarily. Like, all of them aren't species? necessarily okay. invasive. They're just like not native. Yeah. Yeah. So like, in Vancouver, like you talk about one example, but... Vancouver is famous for the, you know, sakura trees, the, 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 the cherry blossom trees, right? And I think that was a gift from Japan or something, but it's huge in Vancouver now, right? And, and that's non-native here. It's been introduced and it's uh, everywhere. And it's a huge feature of the city. And you also see the same kind of idea uh, in Nice, for example, Nice, France. They have palm tree, palm trees, uh, kind of close to the, the the Mediterranean coastal area, right? And those are definitely not native either, but they're also kind of a a very well known feature of the city, and they obviously did it for making it look nice for you know tourist attractions and whatnot, but. You definitely see many examples of the cities introducing non-native species and it working out 
at least somewhat working out. Like you said, there's uh, stress levels on the trees that they could handle. Um, so it definitely makes it a more interesting argument when you consider these these aspects as well. Because, um, you know, I, it's, it's just some trees are just really nice. And I think a lot of people here uh, in the city will like it if it, if it works. So even if like climate change isn't happening, you're going to introduce non-native trees like they've done with the Sakura trees. Like, is that necessarily a bad idea? Because it's been done before and people like it and it's been successful, right? And when you do consider, hey, mm -hmm. the, you do consider this aspect on top of the climate change that is happening. And, and I personally kind of like the argument for shifting and kind of adapting slowly and gradually towards it. Um, I, I feel like that makes sense and I don't really see too much harm in that. Like, like, I favor that argument more. Like, what, what do you um, think about that? Uh, for like, I'm just going to bring you like a little example of, um, like, um, a few, like a few weeks ago for one of my classes, we went out to a park and we were like analyzing like the design and like the tree planting choices of the park. And, um, there's some Katsura trees that were planted, um, right beside a playground. And then there were also some, um, Western red cedars, like in the background, and we were just talking about, like, oh, why would um, they opt to choose, like, uh, Katsura trees over, like, another native species? And, like, why would they keep the Western red cedars over, like, um, you know, getting rid of them and, like, planting something that would, like, um, like something non-native? And um, I believe that uh, my – this is, like, maybe – I don't know if this is 100% correct, but uh, my professor said that, for example, in the Western red cedar, you would see over 50 different species that rely on that tree – for like habitat or food or whatever. And those are native species. Whereas the Katsura tree, if you were to look at it, I think there's only like mm. two, two or three native species that like actually use that for like resources and like as a habitat. So like the ecological integrity is definitely like a big thing that's affected when you choose to plant non-native species, even though they, oh. they could survive and like be better in like terms of climate change. Like a lot of like, the native species that aren't like plants, like the actual like animals, they would suffer just because like they'd be losing their habitats, right? Mm -hmm. So like that's like another thing to consider. Mm -hmm. And like yeah, mm -hmm. like I said, it's like there's no one clear answer of like what's better to do, like planting non-native yeah. versus native. Um, and I think it's just like it depends. It varies a lot, and it depends case by case. I don't think there's like one right answer, and it just depends mm -hmm. on what the intended use of the space is and what you want out of it. So, yeah. Yeah, no, like, I wasn't really thinking about the chain reaction and the indirect effects that, that it will have, but yeah, that definitely makes it much more complicated and, and hard to figure out. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was kind of uh, about Vancouver. Like overall, what, what do you what do you think about urban planning in Vancouver? Um, actually, Vancouver has done a pretty good job I believe I won, like, an award for, like, the greenest city. Um, I don't remember if that was, like, in North America or just in, like, general over the world. But Vancouver's actually done a really good mm -hmm. job in terms of accessibility <laughs> and maintaining, like, green spaces in urban settings. Um, like, if you notice, like, um, like a lot of international students, have, like, I've heard them talk in my classes, and they're, like, shocked to see, like, all, the, like, the, like, nature and, like, like 
in Vancouver and like how it's, it's so accessible and like oh that must be such a culture totally shock is. depending like, on where they people, came like, from um like for we went on yeah. a hike in one of my classes like through like uh, Pacific Spirit Park which is like um like located in BC but basically has like these really big tall trees and people like from other um countries and like um even other places in Canada they're just shocked they're like it's crazy how much like nature has been preserved in such like an urbanized sort of space um so yeah Vancouver's like actually done a pretty good job like obviously there's like room to improve still but like um yeah I think it's like overall done like a an exceptional job at maintaining like green spaces and like designing spaces Mm -hmm. to keep them yeah yeah I I definitely agree on I don't know about you Lorenzo but I think Vancouver actual kind of uh actual Vancouver you know whether that is downtown or downtown more, Vancouver more more kind of close or but you know Vancouver. the actual Vancouver not not like metro Vancouver overall not like all the other cities uh, within greater Vancouver area but actual the but Vancouver, like Vancouver, area, Vancouver 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 and those areas I think yeah, that's that really I think walkable. are great with uh with Stanley Park obviously being there with, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. coastal part incorpor- incorporating you know the 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 waterfront with the parks that's that's there you know i'm a big fan of um uh Kislano, that that whole area if i were to you know stay in canada that's, that's a place been. i will live for sure there's no doubt about that there's really not that many attractive options for me other than that um but damn I can't bro see standards listen man there aren't too many places in the world <laughs> that, that i would say are actually because like i could live in most places and it would be good like it wouldn't just be fine; it would be good. But for it to not only be great, but to be amazing, certain things, certain factors need to be met, and not that many places will meet it. it. Any in, in, in uh, Canada, kind of the best fitting would be Kitsilano, and even then, I would say that like current climate is a little bit too much rain and gloom for me uh, currently. So um, no, give it a few years, bro. Yeah. A few years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, um, and even at UBC, you know, you have, you have the beach, you have gardens, you have parks, right? Like overall in that whole broad area, but not so broad that it's a greater Vancouver area. I think there's just so much, uh, to it and, and, and it's incredible how you have so much to it in such an urbanized space, right? Cause you could go into kind of more, um, you know, for example, Sunshine Coast, for example, uh, North Vancouver, some some of the places there, like a lot of those places are not nearly as urbanized, right? There isn't near, nearly as much of uh, other things to it. It's much more nature focused and kind of, and, and it definitely makes more sense for it to be like that. But to have everything that Vancouver as a city has, it, it's just incredible to see the way it's integrated into it and how everyone could actually enjoy these spaces. Uh, I mean, I just think about, you know, uh, Yale town, you have, you have a sky train connecting you from Richmond. Uh, you could go, you could get off the airport within 30 minutes from the sky train, get to, uh, Yale town in that area. You literally have, uh, everything. You have the waterfront, you have a nice, uh, what's it called? David Long Park, right? That, that's a pretty nice area. And they have all these restaurants, cafes, or grocery stores. Like it's incredible. It's incredibly 
convenient and 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 people friendly and just you have green spaces, you have all these natural things that's being appreciated. And with Vancouver, the way it's designed overall, the skyline is designing a way that if you look from certain spots, you could see the mountains and whatnot. It's it's set, the regulation set, so buildings don't cover those things from these angles, right? Like it's really kept in mind about the its natural environment around it. So I, I really like the way it's designed for sure as well. Yeah, it's like it's really um, it's a really unique city, like the way it's designed. Um, like mm-hmm. all the parks are actually like gorgeous and like really well kept. Um, like with the exception of a few, but like yeah, they've done a really good job with it. And uh, if you're gonna speaking about say, Vancouver, hmm? go ahead. It is now two oh three p.m. Continue. in Vancouver. Just a heads up. Yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, we could I just don't. finish off this uh, this topic and then and then kind of get get into the highlights of the week segment. But I just wanted to ask you, as someone who actually learns about this and thinks about this, where would you say in Vancouver is kind of uh, the best based on these factors mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, accessible green spaces? Uh, hmm. I don't, let me think about that. I think there's actually, like, it's hard to say because I think there's, like, lots of different areas that are actually pretty good. Um, like you were saying, Kitsilano is, like, really nice because, mm-hmm. like, the beach is, like, right there as mm-hmm. well as, like, there's, like, um, like a yeah. lot of, like, trees and, like, greenery just, like, just in the regular streets. Um, downtown is actually surprisingly pretty good as well. Um, like, the streets, they do have some trees, but then also Stanley Park itself is, like, it's, like, a really... Like, it's, mm-hmm. like, obviously it has been, like, um, altered slightly by, like, humans. And, like, it's not completely, like, untouched old growth or anything like that. But, like, it, it's, like, a really immersive experience walking through it. And it you totally forget that you're, like, in the middle of, like, a city walking, like, in the actual forested area. So I think, like, um, like the west end of downtown is actually pretty good for green space as well. Um, there's also parks available as well and uh, lots of new developments. Um, even just like the other day, I was walking right by my bus stop and I saw a new like proposal for like a new greenway that they want to build. Um, not build, just like repurpose a street ah. for it. So that was really interesting. That's and pretty like, even like if you walk down the streets, like there's lots of little like signs sometimes like giving you info about like, oh, this street is designed to um, have like uh, like water runoff, runoff go through like... Um, like the swell and, the, and like the trees and the way that's designed, like this one uh, street in Yaletown specifically, is like um, designed for that, which is really cool. And like they tell the public about it, and like they spread awareness about like the importance of like having green spaces and trees and urban settings, which I think is like really good. So yeah, I think like downtown and Kitsilano mm-hmm. are like mm-hmm. like they're really good for like accessibility and like design. Yeah, and, yeah all that. What about other places in Greater Vancouver area? Because I think about, you know, our neighborhood, for example, uh, like it's it's like Surrey is city of parks, right? And you do have some very nice parks in Surrey, but in our area, I, I can't really think of any really nice green spaces that you could just actually get to easily. 
right? Like, and and you have a lot some, of houses, a lot of people live in there. Like you, spaces. you would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like I think when you start like going further away from like the actual like Vancouver center, it does get like it's not bad by any means. Like it's just just not as accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like, mm, yeah, like I I only re- I'm like really like comfortable talking about like I guess like Surrey just because I like I've lived here. Um, I don't really know too much about the other areas, so I can't mm-hmm. really say too much about them. But like, um, like South Surrey specifically, it's all right. There's like there's parks and like there's lots of new um, proposals for parks that I've seen. Not like lots, but I've seen like a few. Um, and it could be better. The only issue is that there has been a lot of developments like in the past ten years, and it has gotten rid of a lot of like. Um, the nature that was here before. I don't know if you've even noticed it, but like I remember back when I was elementary school, like um, I went to this one called Sunnyside, and like just around it, it was like all trees. Like when I first went there, and there's like literally I'd see deer sometimes just like running around there. But like now it's all houses and developments, mm-hmm. and they didn't leave like a lot of mm-hmm. big green spaces, which is like it's like small green spaces are fine. But a lot of the time, you just can't get all the the same, like, um, benefits that you would from a larger one. So I think that that's something they could have planned better. They could have, like, tried mm-hmm. to, like, um, like, I guess set aside a bigger area of green space for, like, the city. Just considering, because, like, there's a lot of people that live in this area now. And, I, it, like, accessibility is mm-hmm. a big issue. And I don't know. They could have th- planned that better, in my opinion. But, yeah. <laughs> Well, if we're going to get into that, like our area could be planned so much better in so many ways, it's just in terms of school, like you knew that people were going to move in. How are you only going to yeah. have these many schools? Uh, how are you building that many portables when a school is that new still? Like there were obvious laps in judgments when they're playing the city overall. So it's not surprising that in terms of green spaces and, and urban forestry that there's some aspects that are, that are clearly lacking too. Um, I mean, also like with, with public transportation, like a lot of, a lot of the, the people live in the area, like complain about that. Um, just how infrequent it is, the, the lack of uh, routes that, that are there. And for some people living really in kind of the, the, I don't know, the deep of the suburb in the area, they have to walk out for quite a while just to take the bus, um, right? And yeah, there's just so many aspects to, to the way that our area is designed that isn't accessible for people in many ways. Um, I would say if I were going to pick a nicer kind of green space, easily accessible green space focus area closer to our area, it will probably be kind of close to where uh, our high school is. I think over there, you kind of have a little bit more uh, to offer in terms of that. Uh, you know, our friend Caden Lorenzo. He lives right there, and from his house, some of the places you could walk to, it's it's pretty decent, right? Um, overall, it's still not a very walkable place. It's not very convenient for other things, definitely still car-centric. But in terms of urban forestry and green spaces, I would probably pick that area. Yeah, like, 
Yeah, that area's like all right. There's like there's some trails that are nice, and obviously like there's like all like the fields too that like mm. um, by the rec center, which are really nice to have. But um, but yeah, I find that like a lot of the new developments and like the where those are located, like I think the the planning and like if you look at all of them as a whole together, like it just wasn't very well thought out. I don't think just because yeah, there isn't like any big like like there's no like um yeah like i was saying earlier there's just like no big um like green spaces that people can go to they're they're all like very small parks i don't know if you like you've noticed but like all Mm. the all the new like um like um what are they calling like the mm, like housing complexes yeah the housing complexes like the, their parks are tiny and like you, okay. if you look at the yards too they're they're tiny like they're the tiniest little plots over so it's just like it's really uh, kind of sad seeing how like moving forward green space is becoming like increasingly inaccessible in this area specifically but um mm-hmm. yeah hopefully like um as they continue like planning and like um expanding this area like they keep that in mind It's hard just because how expensive land uh, is here. Um, Yeah, definitely hope that that area, you know, focuses more in that aspect. Um, Yeah, it's really a lot to think about when when it comes to this. And you're planning to, you know, work in this field going forward? Yeah, I'm still deciding whether I want to go into landscape architecture or urban design. yeah, I'm still kind of going back and forth, but both seem pretty interesting. And, like, they're both really Your first too. year in this, you have plenty of time. Yeah, yeah, I still have plenty of time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm technically a second year, but, like, I already switched my mind. Um, I already changed my major once, so I can change it again later if I need to. Or not major, I guess career choice. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, no, I think uh, I definitely learned a lot about urban forestry and and the ideas and different aspects of it. Um, And also just a little bit more about uh, from a more educated perspective how Vancouver is. And uh, it's cool that it matches up with my perception of it. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, that, that, that was awesome. Uh, I'm really glad to have you on here. I think, um, you know, people really benefit from hearing this topic. I don't think it's something that people talk a lot about, especially here. I feel like in, in North America, um, and to end the episode, we'll do a segment called highlight of the week where we talk about what the highlights of our past week. So I don't know if either of you want to start. Definitely sleeping in this morning. Uh, no, but other than that, it's been a pretty regular week for me. It's been chilling. Not much. So honestly, to be honest, I do think the highlight is the sleeping in, <laughs> to be honest. Nice. Um, I, That's fair. Let me think. I totally forgot what I did this week. Um, what did I do? Um, I mean, uh, I don't really think I got I mean, to anything You went too on this cool crazy. podcast, I got sushi bro. last I love that. So, nice. Yeah, I guess that was the highlight of my <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Yeah, it's always nice to get some good food. Yeah. Uh, no doubt about that. 
um, I've actually got a pretty big highlight, something that I did not reveal to Lorenzo when he asked me how uh, how my week was before the episode started. Uh, but yesterday, I got I received news that I was accepted into my master's program. Oh, congrats, homie, <laughs> congrats. Thank you very much. So I thought you were coming. Where is it again? Honestly. Uh, so I'll be coming back here a, in September program? in the program called Master of Media in Journalism and Communications. And um, it's a one-year program, three terms, with the last term being uh, co-op slash internship slash just actual real-life practical experience. Uh, and there's going to be, you know, supposedly plenty, you know, various uh, opportunities available for, for that part and also there's some uh some flexibility in terms of course selection because you there's some stuff you have to learn for sure but i think you kind of have more freedom in in kind of choosing which aspect to kind of go into a little bit deeper to kind of specialize to learn more about which is just awesome and obviously it's something that is very different from um because uh i'm graduating well i'm finishing this semester and now I'll be graduating. So literally I have a month of classes and then this final projects and exams and I'll be done and they just have to uh, do their whole thing. And in June, I'll get my graduation status and I'll be graduating with a bachelor in medical sciences with my program actually being uh, honor specialization in biochemistry and cell biology and majoring in Italian language and culture. So this master's program is obviously going to be very different than what I have been doing in terms of uh, my academic journey so far in university. But it's going to be something very interesting for sure, something I'm looking forward to. And uh, receiving the news this early is fantastic for for planning ahead in terms of uh, I got I got plane tickets to come back, um, you know, April 25th. I'll be back for the entire summer and it's going to be great because I don't have any uh serious obligations and commitments where I do have projects I'm going to work on. Oh, that's going to be high. But, but cool. yeah, you know, uh, no summer school, no, no, uh, no research projects, um, you know, not, not working maybe a little bit at the restaurant, but not, not anything serious. Right. So it's going to be hype in that sense as well. So not only just receiving this news and being, getting in, which is already awesome, but receiving it this early allows me to, you know, just get a lot of stuff sorted out and not having to wait for the last minute, uh, you know, especially if having to figure out during exam season, which, you know, supposedly they were going to give give out the, the decisions early April, which is the end of classes going into exam season. Then having to, f to kind of sort stuff out at that point, it's just going to be more of a hassle. So, yeah, uh, really exciting stuff, honestly. And uh, I think this podcast, you know, uh, contributed to part of part of the reason I got in uh, for sure. You know, it's a major media thing that, that we're doing on a weekly basis. And um, yeah, so ties into this podcast as well, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be it from us this week. And I want to thank Raquel once again for joining us. It has been fantastic. Uh, and we'll be back next week for another episode of the Young Foolish Podcast. Hopefully we'll have Raymond with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
All right, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, for sure.